we've made a big commitment on Veg Hill to raised beds and growing vegetables in raised beds. So it's kind of fun for us to have a chance to share some of what we've learned in the process of doing that. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of April 11th, 2013. Earlier this week, we were asked to speak on behalf of the Alabama Cooperative Extension System, um, the our Master Gardener group, Central Alabama Master Gardeners, um, on the subject of raised beds and the vegetable garden. We gave a presentation to an audience of, what do you think, about 30 people? Something like that. Um, and some of them had uh, a background in already growing vegetables. Some of them already were growing in raised beds. But um, there were a lot of good suggestions and a lot of good questions from the group. Uh, so really a fun experience working with these folks. So we decided that today's podcast would be a good idea if we would share with you what we shared with the group. Uh, it was actually just yesterday. And um, in order to understand the presentation and benefit from it, you will want to have the slides before you as you listen to what we said. And they are available online. Just uh, go to the show notes page on longleafbreeze.com for uh, podcast number 180 on April the 11th, and you'll be able to click on the link there and go and watch the slides. Good. Now we and have a few visuals they might want to see. That's right. So we'll begin just by disclosing, as our audience knows better than anyone, which is that we only know one way to do this, and that's organically. And we'll skip through the topics because you're already, uh, you've got those before you. Um, in terms of vegetable basics, these are things that apply no matter where we're growing, even if it's in just growing in the ground. First yep. is you need full sun. That's right. Well, we thought it might be good just to talk about, you know, sort of common ground between, literally, <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> common ground between growing in the ground and growing in a raised bed. So, um, didn't mean to interrupt, but you were already getting into talking about the fact that one of those basics is that you need plenty of sunlight, six to eight hours. And if you don't day. have full sun, We'd suggest just don't try to grow vegetables. Grow pansies or something that really doesn't need all that much sunlight and enjoy your shade. But if you're if you're serious about growing food, you need sun. Impatience, I would suggest impatience yeah, over go. pansies. Yeah, um, healthy soil. That's uh, goes with any without saying for um, any kind of gardening, but especially vegetable gardening. Have it tested and uh, make the necessary amendments. And of course, depending on where you live. Uh, your extension office or someplace like that, your local agricultural university may have uh, may offer that as a, a service for a fee, but it's worth it to have it done. We're big believers in growing close to where you live. There are just all kinds of great reasons to be able to look out the window of where you are staying and see what's going on in your garden if you, if you can. And if you're organic, you need to be so close you can easily wander out there every single day to see what's going on with your veg. Um, you do want to keep it small or, and I said realistic as well, be, be realistic about what you can handle. We made the mistake, in fact, any of you who have listened to these podcasts for any length of time know that we 
used to have 140-foot rows out there on Veg Hill, and for two people taking care of it, it was just a little too much. So we've learned the hard way how important it is to, to be realistic about how much you can handle. And it really has made our lives more manageable to have the, the smaller area. Uh, you need to figure out some way to provide full water, whatever your plants need. Um, for reasons we'll explain later, your beds are going to dry out more than they would if you were growing in the ground. So you just got to have a way to provide for water. And another uh, standard, whether you're raised or bed or you're in the ground, is don't leave bare ground. When, you're, when you've got your target crop in the ground, you're using mulch to make sure the, the soil is covered and, and, you know, keeping in moisture, keeping out weeds, all of that. And when you're not using your cover crop, I mean, I'm sorry, when you're not growing your target crop, you want to be using cover crops. There are several advantages of using raised bed. The first is that you can plant much more closely together in a raised bed. That maximizes your use of your admittedly small growing space, and it crowds out weeds. This is a shot of um, me at our bed that has our garlic, and you'll see three rows here. This is growing in the space where we normally would have planted two rows when we were growing in the ground. But because it's raised bed, we can squeeze things in a little more closely together. Mm -hmm. And if you watch really, if you see really closely, you'll see we actually have three drip tapes running down that four foot wide bed instead of two. Yeah, the um, if you have soil where the drainage is poor, as it turns out, that's not our problem here. But in some places, it is. If you know, sort of a a gumbo type soil, lots of clay with a lot of clay. Yeah, and and, and you're finding yeah. the drainage is not working for you. Put in a raised bed, and then you can add whatever type soil you want to add. Raised beds warm up faster in the spring uh, so that you can go ahead and get in the ground a little faster, and we'll talk about how yeah. much faster in a minute. Extend your growing season, and this is one way to do it, uh, both because your seeds are going to germinate a little earlier, and also because your um, transplants that you put in the ground will uh, grow a little bit faster because of that extra warmth. Another advantage of raised beds is if you have hilly terrain, you can maintain a flat growing surface even though you're on the hillside. They're also a little handier to use just because they're a little raised. It, it allows you to um, sit and manage them. This next photo shows you um, out at, uh, that's bed number 15 where you're working now. And it shows two things. Once it shows one, it shows you working on the garden cart where you can sit and reach everything a little more handy, handily, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you're not having to get down on your hands and knees. You can sit on the garden cart and still reach everything comfortably. And it also shows that our growing space is not flat. <laughs> uh, Veg Hill does have an incline. And you don't see the incline all that well until you have those level raised beds and realize, wow. Then you can tell it wasn't all that level. But, and it is so nice to have that completely level uh, space where we don't have to worry about uh, the water draining off and taking all the seeds with it. <laughs> exactly. So, um, of course, one of the reasons... And if you've listened to our podcast over the years, maybe one of the main reasons, you know, that we decided to go to raised beds is because the weeds were taking over out there. Not just 
in the beds. And that was easier to control, actually, in the beds because I put down newspaper and mulch and all of that. But it was what was happening in the aisles. These weeds, you would mow with the lawnmower and, you know, how a lawnmower works, it clips off the grass. But the weeds that branch out, and, of course, they grew just like crazy with all the heat and humidity. And, um, and weeds being what they are, they were designed to be expanding, and so they were sending out these runners into the rows. Yes. And it was just dri- driving you crazy. It just, and you know, it got ahead of us, and it was just, and so when we decided to start over, do a Veg Hill reboot, uh, one of the things that we worried about was how do we keep the weeds out? The raised beds have been our answer so far. So far, they have worked very well. There is a clear line of demarcation where I maintain the area outside the beds, and you maintain the area inside the beds, and so far, it seems to be working well. Another advantage of raised beds is it reduces soil compaction. Uh, you're not as tempted to walk in the beds. And, you know, you try Which not was to... really not ever anything no. you or I did. We, we always understood that we wanted to avoid walking on the beds, but our visitors didn't always get it, and children would walk in there, and when the dog small animals in. would yeah. walk in there. <laughs> and so it just works out a whole lot better in the beds. No one's, no one's tempted to step up into a bed. Yeah. So. Yeah, so that's much less of an issue. And, of course, it looks cool to have raised beds. It's aesthetically pleasing. There were so many times I can remember before we got the beds when I was a little embarrassed for uh, for company to come and see the garden. You know, I might have known that it was healthy and producing food, but it looked so ratty yeah. with all the weeds and so forth. Uh, now I'm very proud to show off Veg Hill and, and take visitors there and let Me them too. see what we're doing. And we hope... This next item helps with tunneling varmints. (laughs) You've listened to podcasts and you know that moles and voles are the bane of my existence. And especially the voles, which are the ones that are eating all the the plant material. But you can see a a photo here that we're trying trying something new on these last four beds. We are attaching hardware cloth to the bottom of the bed so that the voles can't penetrate and come up through there. And in order to do that, we needed to level up the pad below each bed. And that is what's, that's really slowed down the construction of these last four beds. But we're making progress. Now, we've just told you some advantages of raised beds. Now let's talk about some disadvantages. Well, they cost money. And unless the only thing you do with your raised bed is pile up the soil uh, so that it's six inches off the ground and, and you use um, pine bark, which I tried unsuccessfully to do, or somebody today mentioned bales of hay, or, you know, if you have some way that you can secure that, that you don't have to pay for, and that's on the bales of hay, I guess only works if you don't have to pay for your bales of hay. That's even expensive these days. But yeah, that would be a less expensive option all the way to, you know, you can put cedar or some gorgeous wood for looks um, there, and that's going to cost money. But the materials... And possibly the labor if you don't have... And the soil. And the soil, yes, because unless you're, you know, some people do use their own native soil, which we don't necessarily Which we have not done. Uh, But, yeah, you're going to pay some money. You can keep the cost down, of course, which is one thing we we hope to um, help people do. Another disadvantage is that that dense planting we described... has presents a higher likelihood that you might have a disease simply because packing those plants in, they stay moist longer. And the air can't flow through there. You don't right. get as good of air circulation 
So, you know, it's something that you need to be aware of and do what you can to make sure there is good air circulation and keep it weed-free, etc. Because the beds are elevated, they dry out faster, particularly during the dog days of summer. And that, for us, that means we need to irrigate. We just need to have some way to keep the soil moist when we have food growing there. And for us, it's drip irrigation. And of course, you don't have as much sheer space to grow. When I had 140-foot rows uh, in terms of length, that was considerable growing space. But I'd much rather have what I have now, which is a more compact 4 by 16 bed that's more efficiently used. Um, but it's true that but I don't have do as much have space. you do have to do without yeah. some of your growing space. Yeah. Um, crop rotation becomes a little more complicated when you are using raised beds simply because the space is smaller and everything's packed in more closely together. Um, as we'll talk about a little later, there are some ways you can deal with that, but it does present some interesting challenges. And then finally, uh, certain types of crops that tend to sprawl, like melons, squash, etc., it's, it's either impossible, depending on what it is, or more difficult to grow. Now, impossible would be, I think, if you were running a pumpkin patch or you had huge 25-pound watermelons and that kind of thing, probably not the best option. They would just have to sprawl over the side. But, um, if you, but we learned today you could actually trellis your squash. We knew all along you could trellis sweet potatoes, you can trellis cucumbers. But, you know, if, if you're really trying to do some large fruited plant, it's not going to work too well. The last disadvantage is that tall crops like okra are going to get even taller if you start them in a raised bed. So, um, And here's a shot of Amanda and Adrian together. Adrian's our daughter and announcer, and they are working on a, an okra plant together. And that's not in a raised bed, so just imagine <laughs> all of that one foot higher. That was um, an October okra that I had let continue to grow and I should have pruned it back around that's the right we've middle since of the learned summer. how to deal yeah. with that but there are some tall crops and those tall crops don't tend to work as well in raised beds all right let's talk about some ways that you can build your raised beds I guess the culture out there uh, thinks first of railroad ties when they talk about raised bed uh, because they're uh, easy to to obtain, generally. They're not all that expensive. They're very permanent. They're not going anywhere. They hold the soil in well. Uh, because they are dark, like the soil is, they tend to fade into the um, bed well and therefore have a little bit of more of a camouflaged look. Uh, but we're not big fans of railroad ties. We know they have creosote in them, and that's not real good to have close to your food. And we suspect they have other things in them, and we just don't know what they are. We, we fear that none of them are very good for you to be consuming and taking into your body. So, so we, we encourage you to avoid yeah, railroad ties for the raised route. beds you're using to grow food. Another option is scrap lumber, and a lot of people end up with scrap lumber, and our only question with that is do you, if you know where it's been, if you know what materials it had in it or what it was close to or if it might have been painted at some point with lead-based paint, uh, which really don't know, and, and unless you do, we're not real excited about using that either. Right. Um, in contrast to scrap lumber, treated pine that you buy now, and we're saying within the last 10 years, um, 
arsenic is no longer used in treated pine uh, to, you know, to, to weatherproof it. So um, that's considered fine for growing food. The Alabama Cooperative Extension System says you should not have any problem using treated yellow pine in a raised bed to grow food. So there's so, no problem there. And that's, in fact, what we used for ours. Another option is concrete block. Concrete block is cheap. It uh, won't go anywhere. You can you can configure it any way you want, and the, and it holds the soil well. In fact, the first raised bed we used was was made out of concrete block. Our very first garden that we tried, even before we had deer fence, <laughs> that long ago, we just put some concrete block out there. We had some tried it out we unfortunately we were not irrigating so it did dry out very quickly yes it did but another thing you can do with concrete block is that you can plant in the little holes within the block uh, if you have something that uh, you don't want to spread like say spearmint that has a bad habit of, of spreading on you you can put it in the con in the little hole of the concrete block and it's not going anywhere one thing is that hole is very deep though depending on how raised your bed is so you know you, that that may present a challenge of planting something but anyway it's 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 something you can do and if you have a bunch of concrete blocks hanging around um, it might keep your cost down absolutely uh, and uh, the other option is just to pile up some soil and start planting there uh, as we've discovered, that's in fact what we actually yeah. did. Yeah, that, and that's what I just said a few minutes ago that didn't work out that well. It wasn't very durable. I mean, it, you know, you can, you could, what I tried was just to use pine bark to keep it up and it, you know, the structure didn't hold up. So that's probably not a very good option. Okay, let's talk about where to put these beds, and these are. this is just a, a summary of what we've already told you. First, you need full sun. If you don't have full sun, don't worry about doing it. Just It'll only frustrate you. You need to be close to water, and you need to be close to where you live. We don't know of any other constraint other than one of those three. Unless you have some sort of zoning covenant, covenant where you live, like if there's some sort of sure. neighborhood rule, yeah. you know, but that's, that's, you would know, you'd know about that. So what kind of soil are you going, you're going to use? Uh, we're going to share with you some information at the end about some publications we think are helpful and the one on raised bed gardening that's available from the Alabama Cooperative Extension System has some information about potting mixes for raised beds and we commend it to you. We actually ended up buying some pre-mixed um, topsoil from a local supplier that's a mixture of one part mushroom compost, one part sand, and one part ground-up wood chips. And that has worked very well for it's us. It's worked yeah. wonderfully for us, and we're, we love it. Uh, but when we were having trouble getting that, the fellow who wanted to sell it to us but just couldn't get it himself said, you know, you could always just get a load of topsoil and add some triple 13 to it. And in a pinch, that'll get the job done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're not big believers in using fertilizer at all, but if you need a jump start to get underway, mm -hmm. you can do that, and it'll grow fine. And I would go back and commend that um, publication, that the, the making your own potting mix. If you're trying to save money, that certainly might be an option. We're not necessarily recommending you just dig up the soil around your yard and put it in there because, for one thing, that would be very tedious. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you, that's one of the advantages of raised beds is you get to start over again with the really top-quality soil and 
unless you just happen to have a great soil in your growing area that you yeah. can afford to dig up, um, we'd, you, you're generally going to end up bringing and in And you soil. may need to replenish some of that soil from time to time. It's going to get used up as you pull plants out and that kind of thing. But, you know, you'll, it won't, it'll be minimal. You won't have a lot to have to add. That's right. Okay, so let's talk about some things that we can do, some special considerations that are present when you have raised beds. The first is to take advantage of that higher density um, just by planting things a little more closely together than you would be inclined to plant them if you were growing in the ground. You can make uh, more efficient use of your space with a raised bed, including the next point, which is to install trellises and some of those vegetables that, well, some of them need, we all need to trellis whether they're in the raised bed or not, like tomatoes, pole beans. But And here's a shot of yeah, you picking some of, beans, and that's actually not in a raised bed. That's a trellis that's on uh, growing in the ground. But the principle is the same. But it's interesting that there are some other things you can trellis that people don't always think about. And that's what we uh, talked about some today, with or yesterday with the group, was um, that Yes, I had already tried doing that with cucumbers. I had already tried trellising sweet potatoes, but I'd not thought of trellising squash before. So knowing that that's a possibility, I plan to try it. You bet. We're going to give squ trellising squash a try because it is one of those sprawling vegetables, and we're trying mm -hmm. to figure out a way to make it grow in a raised bed. That's right. And, of course, a another principle you can use, whether you're raised bed or not, is succession planting, but it's especially important for the efficient use of a raised bed because what you can do is plant all of your short season crops together in one raised bed, and then when that's finished, you then come back with something completely different, um, keeping in mind cross crop rotation needs and that kind of thing. But for example, we've got spring, spring peas out in one of our raised beds right now. They're going to be short season and that that as soon as it gets too hot, they're going to be over with. And then I'll be ready to plant something that I plant a little bit later in the summer, like maybe pumpkins or something. Yeah. Um, we do use principles of companion planting whenever we plant, whether it's in raised beds or in the ground. Uh, but they are, you can get especially good value out of using companion planting when, when raised beds because everything's so close together. And I actually tried it this last fall by interplanting some Swiss chard in amongst the brassicas. I think it was in amongst the um, Brussels sprouts. And so now I'm pulling up the Brussels sprouts. There's still chard out there. How much longer, I don't know, because it's really getting hot. But it's and, and parsnips, that's the one that's really been nice. Yeah, the, the parsnips have been sort of a found treasure. Yes, they're planted in amongst the collards. So as the collards are removed, the, the parsnips are still there, still growing. Um, and that has just turned out to be, of course, it, as with any com companion plant planting, you want to make sure that they are plants that play well together. Yeah, absolutely. You don't really think a lot about cover crops if you're a home gardener, but um, as you probably know, if you're a regular listener to Longleaf Breeze, we pay a great deal of attention to cover crops, and we have not stopped just because we're growing in raised beds. This shot shows me at one of our beds that was planted in black oats, and it's now about three times that size. It has just really uh, developed and mushroomed in its growth. So we're delighted with that. Now we've got to figure out a way to terminate it and uh, plant some target crop there. Yeah, but a lot of people might let that hold them back. If, they, if they're if they used to using cover crops, oh, I can't do that in a raised bed. 
No, you can, and you can actually seed it a little bit more heavily for weed control. And Those black oats didn't let any weeds in. <laughs> and we're getting great biomass from our cover crops. They're doing really well. Uh, if you have not already begun growing fall vegetables here in the south, you're missing a bet. And uh, raised beds, offer, they certainly lend themselves to fall veg. Um, and this is one of our beds uh, with carrots in the foreground and kale and where you are, Amanda, and then behind you is some cabbage that's growing. And everything is packed in there fairly well together, but they played really well together they over did. the winter. Those carrots were completely happy until the voles found them. Yeah. <laughs> My nemesis. Uh, you can plant a little sooner in the spring. How much sooner is uh, sort of a it depends question. That The reason we put the question marks after two weeks, um, all other things being equal, you might be able to plant as early as two weeks before the normal planting dates. However, other factors come into play, such as if you're using cover crops, they actually keep the soil cooler. So that, and that is our situation. I've got cover crops still growing in a couple of the beds. So my soil is not going to get the benefit of the warmth as much. So I figured, hey, it's, uh, it all evens out. I'm going to warm up with the raised beds, but I'm keeping it cool with cover crops. Um, drip irrigation becomes really important. Yes, you could get by without it. And we actually have a dear friend who grows in four raised beds we built for her. And she doesn't use drip irrigation. She just waters everything by hand, and it's looking great. Uh, but if you are talking about any size, you're going to want to have some kind of way to, to drip them. And, you know, think. it's not that expensive. And, and you'll really be glad once you get it put in because you can actually put them on timers. So if you're out of town, it's very helpful. Um, it was easier to do than we expected. As and you, the most important thing that the timer does, as far as I'm concerned, is that it turns it off. <laughs> yeah. Turning it on is not the problem. It's remembering to turn it off. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can we a lot of people buy their ir drip irrigation supplies at Lowe's. We don't. We happen to use a company in Louisiana called Irrigation Mart, and the folks there are just as nice as they can be. Uh, there's also a company called Dripworks. And they do a good job of that. And there are several others who do a, a good job with drip irrigation supplies. Yeah, um, and I should mention that um, some of our, our gardens at the um, extension office, they actually, the center there, the, they have purchased those from Lowe's. Yeah, they so buy we have had experience Lowe's. with Lowe's and with Irrigation Mart and just urge you, or just look around your local retailers and see what you can get. But the important thing is, do something like that because it, um, it'll it save your back with dragging hoses around and it'll keep you from forgetting to water it and, as you said, forgetting to turn it off. And the other piece of it, and we've, we've talked about this and people sometimes don't take us seriously, when you water plants from the top, particularly when you do so in the late afternoon, you increase the moisture on the foliage overnight and that's just never a good idea. Yes, every now and then God does it with the rainstorm, but if you get in a habit of watering regularly in the evening and then that moisture sits there all night, you're asking for trouble from mildew and fungus and so forth. So, we So we're we're big believers in drip irrigation. Yeah. Well, there's another uh, challenge that you mentioned earlier about crop rotation that it is a little bit more 
of a consideration or you have to think about it more. Because everything is right there together. Yeah. And, but you can create little zones even within one bed that you treat as rotation zones and you can make it work. Yeah. And what I've chosen to do is because we have lots of beds, we'll have 16, is simply to rotate one complete bed to another. So the brassicas may be in that bed this year, but something in another family like nightshades will be in there another year. Um, if you had just a couple of smaller beds or a couple, you know, in fact, you might want to have several smaller ones instead of one big one to make you to, to enable you to do the same thing we're doing here. But even so, as you said, you could create zones within a given bed and just make sure that you keep a good record of what is planted where so that you'll know um, how to follow um, healthy crop rotation principles. So let's finish up with some information about places you can go and get more information. Uh, the aces.edu website is sort of our first line of defense whenever we have a question. Alabama Cooperative Extension System website. Um, obviously, you already know about the slides, um, and there's the link to them. Uh, there are a couple of publications that we um, think are key. The first is the Planting Guide for Home Gardening in Alabama. That's ANRO063. And you access that by going to that ACES website that you just mentioned and then search. And then just type in ANRO063. Right. You can find it that way. Now, I love the Alabama Gardener's calendar because uh, everything's organized by month, and I love that, um, that it does that. Then the Bible that we just swear by around here is the Alabama Vegetable Gardener, ANR0479. That's a pretty comprehensive uh, publication. I see you referring to it on a regular I do. basis. It, especially when it comes time to decide what varieties to buy of certain types of vegetables because it tells me which ones grow best in my area. And, and if you know what, if somebody's listening and they're not in our area, some of this might not be quite as relevant to them. But if you're but anywhere... you may have a publication similar to it yes. for your area from your state's extension system. That's right. But if you're in central Alabama, this thing's great. Same thing with the, uh, the ANR 1345 called Raised Bed Gardening. Actually, that one's a more applicable across, you know, re pretty much regardless of where you live. Because that gives you... So many of the, the ideas that we talked about today came from that handout or that that yeah. ANR publication um, it talks about everything from how to build the bed you know what construction materials what kind of soil you can use some of the things that we've highlighted today so we recommend you're getting a hold of that if you can so that's what we had to share with the group yesterday glad to share it with you hope you have a great week and we'll look forward to seeing you next week take care you've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden you can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.